Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I am excited to introduce you my friend and my colleague, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Linda is a New York Times bestselling author and an in-demand executive coach and speaker. She devotes her career to fueling global talent and delivering business results. So, Linda, welcome to People First. Thanks, Morag. It's great to be here, and it's always great to be with you at, uh, at, 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 at any level, to be honest. So, thank well, you. So there you go. Sweet talkie, you. Well, <laughs> we're going to come on to your books, and, of course, I've got two of them here, The Winning with Trans Global Leadership, which was your New York Times bestseller, and, of course, this one that was written, co-authored. Oh, I'm up here. Look at that. Dr. <laughs> Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett, and that was our first date and working collaboration. Right. So vested right. interest in this, and I can't wait to share a bit more of your journey. But yeah. as ever, I want to go back to the beginning. All right. So when you were a wee girl, you're sitting in elementary school, the teacher's going, wait, Linda, pay attention, pay attention. What do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer back then? Well, the, the first part I want to say to you is that I was always being waved at to pay attention because I never was paying attention. <laughs> you and me both. I was always off doing something else, talking to somebody, being disruptive. That was generally my uh, MO, actually, when I was in school. But, uh, you know, I actually had uh, a friend. Uh, they weren't friends. They were friends of my parents who were scientists. And they, uh, I think that they invented the electron, uh, the electron microscope or something along those lines. I, I believe that they wow. did. They were Canadian and they lived down the street. And her father was Dr. Frazier. He was a PhD. And he... Um, I'll never forget, I was a little kid, and he would stay with them in the summers, and he would sit outside with me and talk about the constellations and space mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And, you know, I never told this to anybody, really, until somebody asked me a similar question recently. And I think he had a profound influence on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And I also was of the age group which this is no criticism to anybody who is, um, women aspired to be teachers and nurses uh, because prior to that, they were more in, in administrative roles. And I was fascinated by business. And I said, I don't want to be a nurse. I can't stand blood. That would be a little problem. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it a little difficult. And I really uh, don't have the patience to teach um, at, the, at the children level, although as it turns out, I ended up being a teacher of adults because yes. that's just how that whole thing happened. But, but that's, that's really, I think I always aspired throughout my career to throughout my youth, uh, to be, to the extent I thought about it was to be more on the business side of things. Okay. So for those who may not recognize your name and like, where have you all been? Um, give us the, the potted history of the career arc then, because you didn't end up going into space. You were peaked by the stars, but you've ended up spending most of your career in the people side of business. So take us through that journey. Yeah. Well, that was really sort of an interesting journey. My first job out of uh, college, and I'll give you the cliff notes was a teller in Riggs National Bank, for anybody who knows, I don't even know, if, I doubt it exists anymore, it's been merged into a bazillion different banks, but it was, and I was on this sort of management track thing, because I had a college mm -hmm. degree, and the way people treated the customers was appalling, mm -hmm. just appalling, and I couldn't stand it, 
And it made me think about, these are the people that are the frontline representatives of your organization. And needless to say, this was Washington, D.C. So we had all sorts of persuasions of people coming in, um, depositing money. And I also realized that I was lousy at math because they didn't have computers in those days. So you really had to count the change box at the end of the day. So I was always late because it took me forever. But I, I left there because I hated it. And I went... Um, to Alcoa, the aluminum company, yeah, Alcoa, everybody knows mm-hmm. what Alcoa is. And I went to Alcoa and they told me I was going to have sort of a, a quote unquote professional track career, which really they tra- translated into really being a secretary for one of the very senior vice presidents. And I couldn't type and I wasn't going to learn how to type. And um, so that ended up being a relative disaster. But where the rubber really met the road is when there was a job opening for a sales job. Mm-hmm. and what was required was a college degree and an engineering degree was not required. The guy who left the job had a degree in history. I had a degree in history. I applied for the job and I was told uh, they don't put women in those jobs because I would ultimately lay back and have babies. And they okay. would invest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. This, I took a week vacation and went looking for another job and ran into AFSCME, the American Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, and found out that there really were organizations out there that were all about the people, that were all about organization strategy, that were all about trying to make the organization better. The lesson I learned, because I grew up during the quality of work life era, where people were beginning to focus on the nexus between people and uh, strategy and organization development is that you really, um, even the labor movement, I I, I turned away from that because I couldn't stand the adversarial nature Mm -hmm. when, when things were adversarial. And it just seemed to me, it was just so much better if you had great leaders. And that's where I ended up devoting my time was to learn how to be a great leader. And I, I had the fortune of going to New York State government and um, representing New York State in the um, uh, Jerry Rousseau's work at America Institute. And I don't know if these names mean anything because I'm sure these people are dead at this point, but Eric Trist and some, you know, uh, Edgar Schein and mm-hmm. all these people were a part of that. And I was starting to learn about culture. I was starting to learn about leadership. And I was starting to lean about or learn about organizational change. And I would I will tell you that was a real pivotal point in my career and personal life. So Well that brings me to I mean, you've got four books under your belt and having co-authored one with you and about to release my third one into the wild. I know what an effort that is. And yeah. winning with transglobal leadership literally took off and became the go-to resource for Developing Leaders for Success Around the World. So tell me about this and the inspiration for this book. Yeah, that was really, uh, you'll see the co-authors on there. Um, One of the women, uh, Nazneen Razi, and I went to, uh, got our doctorates together. And uh, Peter Peter Barge was uh, an associate of hers from Asia. And uh, Rob Cook is a well-known uh, organizational statistician in, in being able to measure culture, measure leadership. And what is so cool about his instruments is that they really link leadership behavior to the impact on employees and the impact, you know, statistically, and the impact on your organizational performance. And 
uh, you know, I was getting a doctorate. So I gravitated to all of that because it became the basis for really analyzing what was going on in, in companies. And um, I uh, really began to see that being a great leader, perhaps in uh, pick a, a small business, pick a pick a city in, in the States versus being a great leader globally was hugely different. And I was working for GE at the time. I was actually working for Payne Weber when I started all of this. And I was using that instrument, Leadership Impact, which you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I began to see that leaders who were on the global scale had much higher scores in the people aspects and the organization uh, uh, strategy aspects than they did in finance. And we also, we, we know for a fact that people that have MBAs is rare that they, they, they do now, but they get an organizational behavior course, but it's more financially focused. And um, so that's what got me into uh, winning with trans global leadership. And we did a huge study around it, um, discovered that there were five characteristics of a global leader, and we were able to really define those. What does it look like? How do you hire to it? How do you interview for it? How do you develop for it? And that was really the inspiration around winning with transglobal leadership. And let's remember, I worked for two massive uh, global companies, the General Electric Company, which had 300,000 employees worldwide, and Hewlett Packard. Yeah. Had similar, you know, high numbers. And I was the, the talent officer for Hewlett Packard. So, you know, the fact that I, I had this underpinning was, was um, you know, really positive, was really good. What I love about that is it A, reminds me because my career started in banking as well. So I can still rifle my way through a stack of notes if anybody wants to give me a stack of notes. Just don't do it on the day that the butchers, the local butchers bring their cash in. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's all small bills? Uh, no, because they've been dealing with the produce. And so it becomes, you don't want to be licking your fingers when you're touching oh, notes. Yeah. Oh. Anywho, that's an aside. But having that foundation in how businesses work, but that's one of the reasons that I pivoted into the people side, because mm -hmm. to your point, at one point, um, a lot of these advanced degrees and undergraduate degrees focus on what we did, the logic, the process, the systems and paid short shrift to how business gets done, the relationships, the human side, and so on. And yet, through winning with transglobal leadership, the work you've done, the work we do together, that is what makes and breaks companies and careers every single day. So when you think about this, and I know you're still getting calls from companies who are using this um, deeply in their organizations, and those five characteristics of leaders as you look at them, how relevant do they remain today in the well, 21st I think, century? I think that they're incredibly relevant today. And um, I think that they're even becoming um, more relevant as, as mm -hmm. time goes on. Um, and they're in, in, in the book, but I want to back up a little bit more, because my first book was about was called Optimizing, Optimizing Town. Yeah. And why I think that book, and it was ranked one of the, most important human resource books to read for people that were in our field. And it laid out, if anybody's familiar with um, uh, the Malcolm Baldrige Award, mm -hmm. laid out a framework for how you put in place and your word process really uh, kicked in for me on that. 
what's the process that you put in place? You know, what are the drivers? What's the process that those drivers go through? And then what are the outcomes that you can uh, you can expect? And we, again, I'm big on data, which you know. You know, I'm just, I don't like writing stuff around, oh, well, I think it should be this. And I think, you know, the facts are the facts. And if you're in our business, you have to have strong data to back up the statements that you make. And we have strong data. And mm-hmm. uh, again, I read that book with a one of my uh, colleagues with whom I got a PhD, who is a statistician. And we found that every time that you used this model, you ended up having better customer service, better leadership scores on your employee engagement scores, and better consistent financial results. So I I really think that that, you know, being clear on the process that you're going to use, the data that you're going to track, and how you're going to develop other people within your sort of organization development, leadership development field is essential. This is not a, eh, well, you know, let me give you some facilitated bullet points. There's a process yes. that works. Yes. So, and, huh? Process and the stats. And, it, and the two go hand in hand because then you can predict the outcomes, but you're setting people up for success, not just the organization. Correct. Correct. And I also found, you know, if you're going to the board and you're reporting out or you're going to the senior team, you know, the finance people come with all sorts of data and stacks. The marketing people come with all sorts of data and proof that what they have. The HR people come with, you know, an employee engagement survey at the five top things and the bottom. I think being able to really help people understand how to make organizations tick is critical. And that's why the transglobal leadership is so important because these are five uh, characteristics. We don't even call them behaviors. They're five characteristics of a global leader. And they really are different. And actually, I just pulled out the book. It's been a while since I looked at it. But there is a comparison between a trans on page 119, a comparison between 12 transglobal leaders and local leaders. And mm-hmm. we're not saying that local leaders are not good. Local leaders are great. But they're great on a local scale not on a global scale. And what we saw, because I ran the talent processes for both Gene Capital and for Hewlett Packard Worldwide, we found that what people would do is they say, oh, Sam or Susie or Ahmad, whatever, they were a wonderful leader and wherever. And so they'll be great on a global scale. And it turns out you move them and they failed because they couldn't adapt to the sort of uncertainty that it takes to go from I'm just picking a city, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to uh, uh, someplace in Saudi Arabia. Well, let's not pick Saudi Arabia, but some Dubai, let's say. Yes, it's a, it's a different, a different dynamic that you have to be resilient and flexible around. It's interesting because as I look at this and I think about my own career and even moving from the UK to live here in the United States. I know that there were some cultural nuances. We may speak a similar language, but I have learned that there is some English that does not translate into American English. But even the subtleties of how business gets done, a local leader is not necessarily listening to their spidey sense or remaining vigilant to how things may be different and where do they need to flex. And so, as you say, in Winning with Transglobal Leadership, it's a great guide for the individual leader who may be moving cross-country or across the world, 
but it's also an invaluable resource for the HR practitioner who is looking to set those leaders up for success. Right. Well, you know, it, it, it was it was really interesting because as as you, you look at some of this stuff and you say, you know, team connectivity, well, you're not going to have. And today, given trans uh, given the pandemic, you're not going to have and you haven't had in a very long time, perhaps a team that is co-located. Mm-hmm. Today's big business world is rare that you have co-located teams. So you've really got to be able to work with people for them to be able to feel that they're connected to a bigger picture purpose. And that's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it takes a certain kind of skill set to um, open your mind to being open to different points of view. And in the book, actually, there's a story about this um, guy. And actually, I was involved in this was in Japan. And, and he couldn't understand why people were not following the process management tools that that the U.S. has. Actually, I won't even name the company, but the the U.S. has around process improvement. And they thought that the Japanese were just being resistant and they didn't want to do it because it was Western and all that. That wasn't it at all. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand how he was explaining it. And when he got down and instead of telling, he asked, how would you do this here in Japan? This is this is what I'm trying to accomplish, or that's this is what we as a company are trying to do. How would you do it here? And it was amazing. People gave all sorts of great ideas, and it worked like a charm. And they took that process around the world instead of telling, here's the process, here's step one, here's two. Yeah. They went around the world and said, here's what we're trying to do. How would you do it here? And they were open and willing to adjust the process for whatever the local situation was. Again, it's listening, not just telling. It's curiosity seems to make the difference. And it's interesting because, of course, our collaboration was the (laughs) workplace. And, oh, my goodness, the story about how you invited me and how we came together to write this book is a great one over cocktail. So if you ever bump into Linda and I on the road, then make sure to ask because it's brilliant. It's one of those moments I look back on in my life and there are a few where you go, had I turned left instead of right, I would not be here right now doing what I'm doing. So Linda, I want to give huge gratitude and applaud. You are an inspiration to me and I am grateful for the support, guidance, mentoring, insights you've shared with me, not just the fact that my second book, Baby, I got to write with you. <laughs> it was great. You know, I, I remember how that all happened. And, um, you know, the stories, I think the stories, did we told the story in the book, didn't we? Or did we? I can't, I don't remember. But we'll, we'll keep it as a tease. Read the book and let us know if it's in there. <laughs> the matter is, I loved that book. I loved, I loved that this book. book. And, it so, was, and we were, I got it. Oh. Sorry. I, See, you're global. You're always on, Linda. That's the thing. You're always on and in demand. I should have turned this down. I'm very sorry. but um, (laughs) Well, uh, it's what we're talking about here. It's work in the 21st century. So you're just role modeling it. I've got you. We're covering. So tell us, the audience who are listening and watching, the inspiration for the future-proof workplace. Six strategies to accelerate talent development. There's a theme there. Reshape your culture and succeed with purpose. Right. Well, I mean, uh, both of those, all three of those things have been floating around and I've been studying and working towards my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was this model of these six strategies. And in fact, you and I have talked about this. If we ever did a 
update. Second edition. <laughs> Who knows which we ever will. But, uh, you know, there were certain things that, that, that technology has gone beyond where you and I had actually seen it to go. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic has accelerated that in a way that none of us really expected. Um, but we did recognize, you know, the role that technology was going to play. But we had, I think we collectively had these six things in our head, which were all around the organizational side. Mm-hmm. And we did throw in the need for technology because when I was starting up, you know, there wasn't that much technology in the workplace. If you really didn't understand it that much, you could get by. But today's day and age, if you are not technologically savvy, you can't make it. I've got a little story there. I remember in my banking career when when they delivered the fax machine and we thought we'd made it and they lasted about six months. And then when we went from having, I mean, my first job was at a computer that was as big as a desk and I was just encoding. Oh God. But now when we got interactive computers and so on, I I did credit scoring with literally a piece of paper and a few points. I mean, it was all manual. So I am as old as the hills too, as wise as the hills. Right. I like that. Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. But technology, to your point, it, it it's everywhere. And of course, all the doom mongers were saying, well, that's going to put everybody out of work. Yeah. That's Which a short term right. mindset. Put right. us out of work. We can't buy the stuff that your robots are making. Right. And in reality, technology's opened up possibilities. That's exactly right. What it really did, and I think we highlighted in the book, um, you know, I we did a there was a there's a survey connected where all the places we spoke and went around the world and okay people scored themselves low as a general rule and these were major these were Fortune 50 companies that we were talking did and and they scored themselves generally low on two areas well three areas actually leadership capability was very spotty mm-hmm. technology not real good people they had it the companies had it they had I mean they I don't know, name one of them, but people didn't know how to use them. Like the whiteboards. Remember the smart boards that nobody dared touch in case they broke them? So they just. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and there's a whole bunch of others because they didn't, you know, they they, they couldn't figure them out. And then the third one was culture because people didn't Mm -hmm. understand it. What was organization culture? And leaders in particular did not understand the role that they played. And I'm, I'm sure we have the story in here about, uh, I know we do, about a leader who just couldn't understand why people weren't doing what he wanted them, or she, I shouldn't say he, but what she wanted them to do, and then found out that it was all about the culture. And they mm-hmm. were sitting there waiting for this leader to say, well, this is what I want you to do, and this is what I want you to do, because every time they came up with a suggestion, the leader had a put down. Uh, slapped it down. And and I think what was an epiphany for that leader, this person didn't realize they were doing it, mm-hmm. necessarily want to do it. It wasn't because they were bad. They had no data and information that told them statistically that that's what they were doing. So it was really yeah. fun. I loved writing this book. We had a I thought we had a. I thought we had a great time doing we it. We did. We did have a great time doing it, and it had some amazing ripple effects for both of us in terms of the opportunity to speak and work with great organisations. I know you've been out to Dubai several times to speak at right. uh, events there, all around letting go of the nineteenth-century industrial revolution. You've right. got to be at your desk to be productive, sort of right. mindset to work to something right. that really does encapsulate the twenty-first century. And you mentioned the pandemic accelerated a lot of the predictions that we put in here 
around how, what and where of work and careers and the changes that need to be made. Right. So I think it was ahead of its time. Well, I think it was ahead of its time, actually. And, and I, uh, I'll speak for myself. Um, I didn't really, and, you know, we know Marshall Goldsmith, and, but I, I don't think you and I really understood the whole marketing aspect of, <laughs> of you know, publishing. Or at least I didn't. I'll, I'll speak for myself. But, you know, I, I thought the book was great. I think there's a lot of things to be said subsequently. But I do think the six strategies are absolutely on target. And I don't think that those are going to change personally. So as I think about there's a, there's a theme that's springing out for me of all of your books, whether it's optimizing talent, whether it's um, winning with transglobal leadership or the future proof workplace, it's all about transitions. It's either optimizing talent, preparing people for the promotion. It's right, right. Um, transglobal leadership. I am transitioning from one location, one country to another. And then the future-proof workplace was the transition in our attitudes to work from one to the other. So I know this is a hot topic for you now as you think about your your what's piquing your curiosity. So say more about that. But it's really interesting because of the pandemic um, really shifted uh, in many ways some of the things that I was doing professionally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started thinking about all the people that are similar in my um, perhaps circumstance. And, you know, there is, and I, I, I hate to say this because one is working with all sorts of different people. You're coming up, you personally are coming out with a new book, which is fabulous. You, me, we, I mean, I love this book right there, right? Be, right yeah. behind you, and everybody needs to get a copy of that. But made me think about, you know, as you're going through this, I'm like, I don't have a you, me, we project. <laughs> I'm playing golf today or whatever. And, and, um, I'm sure that there are many people that have been disrupted with mm. the pandemic in many ways. Part of it is, is, is uh, you know, I, I won't go into all of that, but that sense of feeling uh, passed over. You know, yeah. there's another crop of people coming up. And yes, we're engaged in a lot of different stuff, but you're, you know, you got new people coming up the pike. And mm -hmm. what do you do about that? And you can yep. either feel bad about it, you can feel passed over, or you can jump in and help. You can support, you can give knowledge, you can be part of a, a, a team that builds up the other people that are on the front line. There's lots of things you can do if you get rid of and let go of that feeling of, oh, why isn't it me? Yes. And I think naturally we all think that way, regardless of whatever it is. Somebody got a promotion to a global leadership role. I could tell you, no matter what age, why didn't I get that job? Yeah. I had to sit down and coach many people with that. The other thing is um, seeing those that you've helped move forward. Um, you know, it, it just brings joy to me to see where you are uh, professionally. And mm -hmm. You know, looking at this this podcast is no big secret that I'm older than you are, and um, you know, it just helping others move forward. And you know, I'm starting this women's group um, with another colleague of ours to give women an opportunity that they don't have to pay for mm -hmm. coaching and support and help. They don't have to pay a membership fee. 
but they're going to get top-notch coaching and support from people like you, from people like me, from people like Sally Helgeson, from people like Terry Jackson, Marshall Goldsmith. And, and that makes me feel good. And I think that's, that's a, a very important thing. And being unclear on your own path forward, I think that's, that's another thing that, that happens to people. What, what is my path forward? And I, I think a lot of our identity, I know a lot of my identity, has been and still is tied up in Sky Team and the work that I do. And so when you and I were talking, I know you have a thriving executive coaching practice, and we were comparing notes on leaders at different stages of their career, and those who may be all about the work, and I'm the CEO of this, or I'm the chief of that, or I'm the SVP of the other, as they look at that career horizon and potentially the opportunity to play golf more often, how do you redefine who I am and how I show up? And philanthropy and the giving back of our expertise through mentoring is one of those ways. But as with all transitions, we need to plan for them in plenty of time. Don't just wait until the year of or the month before. Mm-hmm. Start thinking, how are you going to ease yourself into that, into that move so that you can make the most of it for yourself and for others? And for others. And I think you know, you make such a good point because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of books. Actually, Marshall wrote a book on, uh, I forget what the name of it was. I should remember, but um, Succession. Uh, it had had to do with Succession. It had to do with this very topic that, uh, you know, somebody was the CEO and, you know, all of a sudden they're retired. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not necessarily in many cases, not necessarily wanting that retirement. And how do they redefine themselves in a way that they still have that sense of purpose they have that sense of uh, stretch, give back. They can use all of their experience. Mm-hmm. And I think Marshall's a very good example of that. You know, I mean, he's just come out with his new book. Which the is- Earned Life. It's actually, I would hold it up, but it's downstairs in the kitchen waiting for me to read it. I received my signed copy this week. I'm so oh, excited. Yeah, The Earned Life. And, um, you know, I, I think, well, at any rate, I, you know, he's he is a, a role model for that. Yeah. We do think he's certainly my role model. And, you know, it's so interesting. I've known Marshall for more than 30 years, as you well know. And um, he's always been that inspiration for me. He's always been that person that I looked at and said, you know what, 10 years from now, that's what I want to be. I'm not saying 10 years anymore, but I'm I'm saying, you know, he, I, I, you know, he's he's still out there and he's still relevant. And I think that's really important. It is. And we talked about it in the Future Proof Workplace because that old mindset that my grandfather or my father had of you go to school, you go to work, you retire, you die, I think is so last year, so 20th century, because now we're talking about age is just a number. And you can do what what you want for as long as you want. The key, I suppose, is do you have to, do you choose to, and in what way do you redefine it to, to give you the quality of life right. that allows you to be the the best you can be. And it, it sounds so aspirational, but it's it's phenomenal. As I look at Marshall, and he's prolific in his writing, but he's also prolific in his philanthropy and his knowledge um, philanthropy yeah. and sharing his yeah. expertise, much like you are and have been with me and many others. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really true. And, and I don't want to – some people – are happy to get out of the rat race. And it is a rat race, let's be clear. 
of us that have worked for companies and startups and all this other kind of stuff. It, it really can be a rat race, but um, you know, that importance of redefining yourself and being comfortable with that transition, mm-hmm. whatever that may be, um, I think is in, in incredibly important. So talking of transitions, as we come to the end of our time together, do you see what I did there? Yeah, uh, Linda, very that's right. How can people who are listening or watching this episode learn more about you, your coaching practice and benefit from your experiences? Well, I apparently you were on my website earlier. I, I do have a, a website and, um, you know, you can look me up on the website. I That is now one of my to-do lists is to update that. But uh, there's my contact information on there. And it's very simple to get a hold of me, Linda at lindasharkey.com. That's it. And uh, my cell phone, I'm no longer, I'm actually kind of proud of this. I no longer have a landline. So, you know. Welcome to the 21st century. Well, (laughs) be Dr. Linda Sharkey, friend, colleague, inspiration, and thought leader. Thank you for joining me and sharing a little of your career journey and leadership insights here on People First. Well, thanks so much for having me, Morag. I consider it a blessing having met you, I don't know, what, eight, ten years ago or whatever it was, and that it was meant to be. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.